We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Sooner Sports Podcast. Your all-access pass to Sooner Sports. The Sooner Sports Podcast is presented by Allstate. Are you in good hands? And by Riverwind Resort. Riverwind Resort, the place to be. Now, here's your host, Chris Plank. All right, welcome into the Sooner Sports Podcast. It is a game plan edition, which means we've got to talk to someone to help us make sense of the matchup with Kansas State. So welcome in for the first time, I think, Rufus, on the Sooner Sports Podcast. Sooner standout linebacker, all Big 12 performer, Rufus Alexander. How hot was Saturday down on the field for OU Texas? Oh, man. It was pretty hot, man. I had on a white shirt, so it was pretty hot. Man. It was like 90-something degrees, I think, down there. It felt like it. It felt like 100. Um, I was sweating. I wasn't even playing. Um, just looking at Oboe come on and off the field. Looked pretty, uh, he was, it looked pretty impressive. It seemed like that guy had a, uh, a pretty much a, a great workout, that's for sure. Uh, I want to talk to you. Before we look back on OU Texas, Rufus, I'll never forget last year, after the Ohio State game, you had a, a really interesting post-game interview with Ahmad Thomas where you guys talked about leadership. And you were a leader on this team for years, and you learned about leadership, and you studied it, and you became a great leader. Can you kind of take us through the differences you've seen in the guys leading this year, maybe as opposed to the last couple of years? I know we still have the frustration of Iowa State, but Rufus, it seems like from a leadership perspective, this group is getting it. Um, yeah, I mean, they get uh, – I think you, you see a lot of guys who get more now. Uh, you got guys like Oboe, who's a really good leader. Um, you know, and last year, you know, he was a year behind. Uh, you see – yeah, as well, you see Stephen Parker. He's a better – he's more mature. He's a, he's a, he's a more aggressive as, as far as leadership goes. Um, you got Baker Mayfield. Orlando Brown has matured also. 
Uh, he's a guy that you see. He comes down and he talks to the defense a little bit too as well. And he's not. He's one of those guys that calls it like he sees it. And that's the thing. That's one of the things about being a good leader is um, you're friends with everybody. You, you, I mean, you walk in a locker room. You spend so much time with each other. So calling your friends out sometimes is hard to do. But uh, to a man and to a uh, another player, and y'all all have a common goal. You can't be afraid to call your friend out. Be like, hey, you need to get it together. We trying to get to this common goal, and you're not doing all the little things right. Um, you know, it's, called, it's even like little small things, and not making it to treatment, not going to class, not doing all those small little things. And you say we all have a goal to make it to a championship, and we can't do those little small things right. So it's sometimes it comes down to doing all those little things and being able to call your good friends out, call your buddies out. How challenging is that, though? I know this is a little bit of a side road, Rufus, but for you always hear, oh, he's a born leader. And for some people that may be the case, but then there's the reality of, hey, I do have to go there and, I don't know, I'll just Rufus is my boy. That's who I hang out with. But I got to tell him he's got to get to class or I got to tell him he's got to work harder. That can be a challenge, I would imagine. Uh, I mean, yeah, it is a, it's a challenge if, you know, at one if you're – if you're a leader and you're doing the same thing as somebody else doing, you know, if, if you're a leader and you're also skipping class too, and they know you're skipping class, you're a leader and uh, you're both doing the workouts and you're missing workouts and not making your times and doing all that stuff. How are you going to tell somebody else to do something when you're not doing those things? Uh, you know, we had great leaders that have been at OU, like Teddy Lehman, guys that would always be at the top of their group. Um, uh, guys that just you know just worked hard all throughout their whole entire career, and you have those examples. And now you have a guy like Obo who's leading the team, who's a great example, great leader, goes to class. Uh, you have a guy like Baker Mayfield who has you know all the energy and positivity in the world, such a great motivator, great leader. Uh, you, I mean, so you you know the players, the All Americans, they're there and they're working hard. I mean, you see it when they come into practice; they're not loafing, they're not you know, sitting on their butt like, ah, oh, you know, I got this or whatever. Those guys are working you every day. Obo and Orlando Brown work each other out every day. And as a guy sitting back watching it, you got to respect it because those guys, they've done it, but they're still continuing to work and polish their craft every day. And so you have to, as a, as a person, appreciate that and, um, and work hard yourself. What is uh? Let's talk specifically about the linebackers here, and everyone always wants to get another standout linebacker's perspective on Kenneth Murray. I don't know, Rufus. From my untrained eye, I just see a guy that I feel like gets better every single game he plays, every rep he takes. What's caught your eye so far about the freshman Mike linebacker Kenneth Murray? Um, you know, Kenneth Murray, like you said, he is getting better every game, and from being a linebacker that started out playing, um, it's hard in the beginning to try to – there's so much coming at you. Uh, I mean, plays are coming at you left and right, and now with hurry-up offenses and guys coming uh, left and right and lining up to the line of scrimmage really fast, uh, that got to be a little tougher too. I mean, whenever I played, you know, the game was a little bit slower. It was easy for you to kind of pick up on your keys and what you needed to do, and now it's a little bit different because now you have to process everything a lot faster. And he's doing a really good job. You know, he struggles a little bit on the screen plays right now and picking them up and getting them. Uh, he, you know, they struggle They struggle a little bit on getting the pill calls or maybe he's supposed to take a back that swings out of the backfield because things just happen so fast and you have to react sometimes and everything is like a split second. Sometimes you don't follow your keys. You don't go with your keys. And that could take you out of whack. And 
for a young for a young kid for a young player the smallest thing that you don't pick up on right now puts you three or four steps behind like I said playing for coach Venables it was always like you're an inch off that means you're you're gonna be a second or two late so it, it was always about the inches and stuff and so with him that's what it's about he's a, a step or two late or he's uh, his sight looks at the backfield and look at the quarterback when he should look at the running back, and the running back squirts out, and by the time he realized, oh, crap, the running back's gone and the quarterback didn't do it to him. So <laughs> things like that, I think by the end of the year, he'll pick up he'll pick up on it and he'll do great. Um, it, it's just a little small thing. And it seems as if in so much, I don't know if the term is concerned, but intrigued with Kenneth Murray, we forget about Emmanuel Beal, who Rufus, it looks like quietly he's really putting together a solid season for the Sooners. Who's that, Emmanuel Beal? Yeah, Emmanuel Beal. Yeah, I mean, Emmanuel hasn't played. He's he's still fairly young at the game. Um, he's a guy that stopped playing for a little bit and then came back to the game. And, and, you know, last year was a huge learning curve for him. You know, a lot was put on his plate last year uh, as a young guy in his first year in it. And now, you know, you're starting to see him kind of settle into things. Um, play a little bit better, play a little bit more consistent. He's not the greatest in pass coverage, and that's where he needs to work on work on a lot of stuff at is his pass coverage and stuff. But, I mean, as far as hitting the run, reading and diagnosing runs, he's so much better than he was last year. I can watch him on film last year and watch him be late on the guy pulling, watching him be late on getting over the top and fitting in the right gap. And now he's a guy that's fitting in the right gap, being where he's supposed to be, and – He's going to only grow and mature as the season goes on, and I think uh, if he gets an opportunity to the next level, the sky's the limit for the kid because he can run. He can run. He can hit. He's a really good, solid player. Um, uh, he, he needs to, I mean, every you want to bulk up a little bit more, but, I mean, he can play some. He can play good football. He's a really good player, and his maturity and his leadership is showing this year on the field. He's not a, a loud leader. He's a quiet leader, it looks like, on the field. And even when he's on the sideline, but man, he is—he is as he's as solid and consistent of a player as you can see in somebody that you would want to play with. You know, I I know that we don't have a ton of time, Rufus, because you have some radio responsibilities. Oh no, man, you're good. I ain't got to be there till like twelve. Oh, okay. So you got we got, got some time. time. All right, cool. Yes. Uh, take me through then where you still have. Let's just, before we get positive, just your biggest concern still, and, and it can be both offensive or defensive or even special teams, but when you look at the Sooners and you think championship caliber, championship mindset, Rufus, where's still your biggest concern? Um, right now my biggest concern would be they're not finishing and closing teams off. Um, as far as the offense goes, I think against in this Texas game, they had an opportunity to close the door in Texas and uh, finish that game in the first half. And you saw them let those guys stick around, stick around, not finishing drives on a few of them. And then you also look at the Baylor game. Um, the offense kind of got a little bit sluggish and a little bit sloppy. Baker Mayfield was trying to hit the big throw uh, a lot more, more than taking the what was given to him. Same thing Iowa State, he was trying to take the big throws, big shots. And as far as the defense, too, they're not, they're not staying all the way engaged in the game a lot throughout the game. The uh, defense that I saw in the Ohio State game, I mean, they were engaged throughout the game. It was, I mean, they were dialed in. Everything that was coming, they knew, they understood, they played with their hair on fire, and they were there. But even in that Ohio State game, you saw the offense have a little bit of struggle a little bit, and then they kind of turn it on. They're up and down right now. 
And I think they'll get better as the year goes on. Um, you don't want to really be at playing at peak performance right now and then you kind of just taper off. That's when teams kind of catch you. You want to peak towards the end like OU did last year, but you can't lose another game. And I think once you get everybody back healthy, once you get Fidette uh, healthy, um, you get Marquise uh, Brown healthy and everybody's playing consistently throughout the year, as well as Abdullah Adams, uh, C.D. Lamb back healthy. You want all those guys playing together right now. I mean, they're pretty much Andrew get hurt what the first game or second game. He goes down with an injury, so he's not. He takes a little bit of time off, and then the next game you get another guy injured, and then you go against Iowa State. You get Abdullah Adams injured once you start finding your groove with a running back. You know, so it's just kind of a constant thing, and I think the offense is jail well. Uh, with the defense getting on, uh, the, I think the defense plays well early, and if the defense continues to do that, and the offense catches on early and continues to finish out games, then you have a really dangerous team. They're, I mean, I think OU is dangerous, but I think they, you know, they fall asleep sometimes, and I think that's what hurts them a little bit. But they'll get, I, like I said, I believe in what Lincoln Riley's doing. I believe in what Make, Baker Mayfield's doing, and I also believe Mike Stoops is kind of learning this defense and really kind of getting back more and more towards the 4-3. I think he's leaning more and more getting away from the odds front. Uh, you know, as, you, as you can see from the beginning of the year to now, he's leaning a lot more back to that 4-3, which I think he needs to get back more and more to because they look really good against Texas in a four-man front. But um, we'll see where that's going to go uh, here in this game against uh, Kansas State. How, can you – again, We, you and I and Ted talk about this a lot on our pregame show – Rufus, and I know that it's it's really kind of an inside football thing, but can you take us through the difference between what a, a 3-4 da means and what a 4-3 means? I mean, in other words, what 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 is the biggest difference for a team? Is it is the 3-4 better? Are the, th- the odd fronts, I guess you could say, is it better against the run or better against the pass? Even fronts better against the run or the pass? What are we really looking at whenever we see the Sooners go without four-man front? Really, I mean, it's not to say which one's better. I mean, it's which one you have the personnel to do. Um, I don't think we have a big enough defensive end that will play two gaps and play that odd front. Um, uh, as far as, I mean, you want a 270, 280-pound guy that can pretty much run a 4-6, on the outside that can two-gap the tackle, and you need a nose tackle that can also play that's a 300-some-pound guy that can play the left side and the right side of the line, can push the center back, do all this other stuff. And I don't think we have the personnel to do that. A 4-3 is a simplified defense. You rely more on your three technique and your defensive ends, and you rely on your nose tackle to just be a guy that takes up two gaps. And it'll, it frees up your linebackers. It lets your linebackers run. They let them be athletes. You let guys like Caleb Kelly and Emmanuel right. Bill and – and Murphy be more aggressive as players. It lets your defensive end be aggressive as a player. It lets your three technique be aggressive as a player. I think a, a odd front, you're less aggressive. Um, you have to have bigger linebackers. I think you need a guy like Emmanuel Bill. And he doesn't fit an odd front because the guards are uncovered. You need your 250-pound, 260-pound linebacker like the Alabamas of the world have. Those guys that can play off of a guard and move and run. Um, so my thing is, I don't think we have the personnel to do an out front. Just outside looking in, just watching other people that are really successful at a out front, they have 
really good guys that play up front. They have really good defensive ends. You have really good nose tackle, and you have a really good linebacker. Either the middle or two of the the middle linebackers are than the guys on the outside. So my big thing is, I'll tell anybody, I just think it's personnel that doesn't allow this defense to be really good as what it can be. Um, but uh, I think the the um, the four three right. having having Devontae Lampkin, who's a guy that can push the middle. Um, he's not as great as a Dusty Dvorak, but he is he is strong. Dusty Dvorak was really good whenever you know he he had the power, but he understood how to use his hand placement and different things. You got Neville Gallimore, who's a good three technique that can get if he get a little bit better burst off the ball, but you could bring Imani Bledsoe in, who's a guy that can play the three technique and get up the field. Um, you got Obo, who's a defensive end. You, he's like your your Dan Cody, a guy that nobody can block. Uh, if you give him time and you put him one on one, he's a guy that's going to pretty much get to the quarterback. Um, and then you also have the other young guys. You got Man that can come in that can also play a defensive end. He's a big, strong guy. Uh, you have DJ Ward who can, you know, put him out a little bit more instead of putting him over a 300 pounder and have him fighting with that guy. I don't think he has the size to play against a 300 pounder and go head up with him and still got that guy throughout a, through a throughout a whole entire game. So you also I mean, you have other young guys that's down the line that's going to come in and going to be able to be really good uh, on the defensive end, defensive line wise. Uh, Marquise Overton is another kid that like has him. really good, really good burst off the ball. Plays really well. He always has a good motor. Uh, and then Romar comes back. He'll be another good nose tackle that you have. So you have some rotation there that'll keep guys fresh. I just think they have a better personnel that's more suited for a a four three than it does a a three four. Um, that's just my opinion, though. But you know, I'm not my defensive coordinator. I mean, Mike Stoops does a great job on what he does, and he understands his personnel better than anybody else. But that's just how I, it's what I was brought up in. It's what I see on the field. Uh, the guys I see on the sidelines, they look really good in the 4-3 when they played against Texas. I think they have more, the most success when they played 4-3 against Texas. It's great stuff, man. That is great stuff. Rufus, before I let you run, Obviously, I think sometimes whenever we talk about these guys that come from the Mike Leach coaching tree, everyone thinks, oh, they're just going to throw the ball around, and Oklahoma can. But I've been impressed over the three years that Lincoln Riley's been at Oklahoma, the two years as offensive coordinator, now as a head coach, how he stays true to the running game. And I know there was some concern when P. Ryan and Mixon move on, but man, Trey Sermon, and, and even Abdul Adams when he was healthy, and then obviously Rodney Anderson on Saturday, but Boy, Trey Sermon looks like he has the potential to be that next great back at Oklahoma, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a kid, as a, for a true freshman, freshman. Man, he is. Oh, he is an absolute grown man. And, I mean, he, the way he runs through tackles, uh, leg tackles, you can't, you really can't do it. He, he, I mean, he'll, he's really good at absorbing contact and then exploding through it again. He's a very powerful kid and a really patient runner. Yeah. For a, uh, a a true freshman, now, some of the runs he had uh, against Texas, especially one of those that big third down for Lincoln Riley as well to call a run play on a three down lineman and, and not drop back, and it's third and twelve to pick up a huge first down in one of those uh, one of those times in the game. That's you know that goes to his play calling and his trust in the offensive line, and he and Lincoln Riley changing his offensive philosophy from last year. So I think last year you wanted to be a lot of air raid and all that stuff, and then 
you realize I have a big offensive line. I can dominate people still keeping a little bit more of taking a little bit of air out of it, but also allowing my running backs to be really good and be balanced as a team. I think he does one of the best jobs at being balanced. And for a guy that's been under a Mike Leach system, that is really cool to see. <laughs> it is. Oh, hey, I, you know, we, we've sat here and we've talked for 20 minutes, and I haven't even asked you about Kansas State. So uh, I, I said last question, but real quick, what do you expect this weekend? Are you bringing the rain gear on Saturday? <laughs> um, K-State, I mean, uh, I'm, bringing, I'm bringing a lot of pressure. I'm going to – I think the, the team should play really well. They should respond well after playing and get back on the winning track in Texas. Uh, come into K-State and, and start to put together these next couple of weeks and getting this team all the kinks pretty much ironed out. I think Kansas State is, I think, is where we turn the tide and start to really be aggressive defensively and offensively becoming the team that we've been waiting for. I think they, they turned things up a notch here in this offense, on this offense here against K-State. And you see a different offensive team, a more aggressive defensive team. I think the Texas allowed you to understand what you're really good at and what you're not very good at uh, as far as the defense goes. And bringing pressure, I think, is one of those things I think Mike Stoops is going to get more, more comfortable in trusting the guys he has on the back end. The way that George Thomas played uh, against Texas, um, the way that Motley's been playing all year long, at some point you're going to have to really start trusting those guys to stop staying back and, and making enforcement action Great stuff, Rufus. I appreciate your time, man, and look forward to seeing you in Manhattan on Saturday. All right, man. See you Saturday. Wow. How awesome was that breakdown? You know, we're, we're pretty lucky on the Sooner Radio Network to have, you know, two of the greatest linebackers in the modern era of Sooner football in both Teddy Lehman and Rufus Alexander. And to get that kind of perspective, wow. So I appreciate Rufus Alexander. Don't forget, plug moment here. Rufus, Teddy, and I will be on the air at 1 p.m. to get you ready for the 3 o'clock kick this Saturday between Oklahoma and Kansas State. All right, let's hit the practice field, shall we? At Soonersports.tv, every single week, Jessica Cootie takes you inside practice. And after the offensive availability on Monday and the defensive availability on Tuesday, I asked Jess what she learned and kind of what stood out from her experiences with the availabilities after practice well yeah um monday actually i um spoke with baker and orlando and kind of uh, addressed the issues of the second half the last couple of games and um you know i thought they both have really really great things to say that practice report went up well yesterday evening so you can check it out but you know uh baker talked about one of the biggest issues is that what they've done in 34,000 situations, and it hasn't been the play calling. It's been on them to execute. And so it's kind of been, it's, it's been a focus, you know, it, it's a the mentality thing is what both he and Orlando had said that they've got, that, that's, 
that's been the issue is that they're not converting on third downs and 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 it's not like they have third and longs a lot of time. Um, so uh, they said it's 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 all it has everything to do with them and, and executing and they've just got to be better at it and it's it's more of a mentality thing than anything. You know, it's uh, it was real interesting. I had a chance to talk. Well, we all had a chance to talk to Baker, as you mentioned, but it hadn't really clicked until I was kind of writing about it. He and Orlando Brown have been kind of the common parts of this offense since Baker took over. I think I saw, what, 34, 35 different receivers have caught passes. 25 different guys, give or take a few, have have run the football. But, Jess, there's only been one left tackle for Baker Mayfield since he started. And of all the things that you don't have to worry about, man, that left tackle position with that quarterback, his blind side is protected. You did a piece on Orlando, was it last year or two years ago? Uh, I've done one in both years. <laughs> <laughs> He's that, and, and it just shows you this is a guy that – and I think sometimes this happens with offensive linemen from Jamal Brown to uh, – well, I was – Daryl Williams is starting for the Panthers now. You think obviously about a Trent Williams, Phil Lodehold amongst others. I don't think we truly appreciate, Jess, just how special these guys are until they're gone, do we? Yeah, and I, I feel like I've appreciated Orlando maybe – more so by how he carries himself more than, um, you know, anything else. I think that's, a, a, I'll just, I've, I've said it so many times, but I'll just never forget, you know, talking with Coach Beanbow when I did the first feature when Orlando was a redshirt freshman, um, you know, on his dad. And, um, you know, Coach Beanbow talked about how, you know, the best offensive linemen have a switch, and Orlando has that switch. And then Ty Darlington was talking about how, you know, that at the beginning of the year, they were young. You know, the O-line was not very good. And then um, by the end of it, they were one of the more solid lines in the Big 12. And, and Ty, Ty Darlington, the senior team captain center, put that on Orlando Brown, the redshirt freshman, that he was the reason why that O-line elevated their play and became a little bit meaner and became nastier and kind of became that more dominant force is because of the way that Orlando plays. And, yes, back then he he didn't um, know how to, I guess, walk that line um, between the penalties and, and playing very aggressive. But Coach Beanbo would much rather have that and learn how to rein them in than having to push them to be meaner and be nastier. So, um, you know, that's been something that they've talked about for years now. And I think now you've just kind of seen him grow. And, you know, when I sat down with him in the spring, I asked him about, you know, you could have gone, you know, a lot of people go if you're the second, third, fourth round pick. And he, he said, I want to be the first tackle taken in the draft. That's my goal. And so he's got such a good head on his shoulders. Um, you know, he's got some, some very positive influences in his life. They're making sure that, you know, he stays grounded. And so here he is and, and you know, definitely one of the best in the country. And he just, it, just the way that he carries himself is what I find the most impressive about Orlando Brown. And it, it's interesting because there's two parts of this, and you're right. He's an impressive dude. He's a fun guy. Uh, he has fun, and I think we've seen him mature. But just as you said, you know, through his relationship that he developed with Jamal Brown, he's got a goal in mind, and obviously he wants to win championships, but he wants he's, he's geared towards the NFL, like I think a lot of people are, and there's no shame in that, and I think he's going to be a heck of an NFL tackle too. Yeah, no doubt about it. His team is first and what he wants to do here at Oklahoma. That's goal number one. But when you start talking about personal goals, 
that that kind of falls underneath that for him. But it's still that's his number one personal goal. If he he doesn't want to go in the second round, he wants to be the best in that draft, and and I mean that's what he wants to work for. So yeah, and I think he absolutely does. I think he's um, he. I I promise you, Chris Blank, I go out there every Monday and Tuesday to do practice reports. And every Monday and every Tuesday, Orlando Brown, if he's not the last person to leave the field, he's one of the last five to leave the field. He works so hard. He's out there working on his technique. He's helping other guys, um, so the younger players kind of work on their technique. But he works so hard. And so I think that, along with he's very smart and then just the way – his ability on the field um, and the way that he carries himself off the field, yes, I think he has the potential to have a very long and successful career in the NFL. Obviously, I would imagine after Saturday that the defense has to feel pretty good about the path that they're on. What kind of feeling did you take from uh, last night, Tuesday night? Hey, I got a chance to talk to Kenneth Mann oh, last nice. night. Nice. Yeah, um, I think he went to media, but um, I had not interviewed him yet, and he was great. Um, but yeah, I kind of made the focus um, a little bit on the D line, and you know they had, they knew uh, how big their role was, um, you know against Texas, and uh, they really felt like you know they they certainly played with better effort. They feel like there's still um, improvements to be made, but um, that they did one of the main things is that they wanted to be better um, effort wise when they watched the film, and so. Um, yeah, I think that was, was big, and, and then they talked about how important it is moving forward against a team like Kansas State, who also you know relies on, on the run game and what they do on the ground a lot, and uh, the importance of the D-line once again coming up on Saturday. So, uh, yeah, I, I think um, I, I think they were seemed to be pretty um, um, pleased with the performance they had, but still knowing that there's improvements that need to be made. So I think that's a lot better kind of feeling you had um, on the Tuesday going in a game week than you had last Tuesday on a game week. Well, I have never even talked to Kenneth Mann, and I still, in going back through his short time on the field, uh, he still had one of the more impressive sacks that I've seen where he just overpowered uh, a player for Tulane, I think, did it the next week. I mean, this is a guy who's kind of started to – I hate to use the term burst onto the scene. But, Jess, he's had a, he's had a pretty nice start to this season. What was he like? What would you take away from your conversation with him? Yeah, it was so funny because you can always kind of tell the guys that are um, – that are, uh, I mean, really well-liked, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there, there's good chemistry all around on that team. But – um, you know, I never interviewed him, and so it's funny. Like every, everybody that walked by was like, "Okay, Kenneth, like <laughs> give me some TV time, and um, you have one sack, and now you think you need some TV time." And they were giving him some such a hard time. And then while we're doing the interview, they would stop and get behind us, and you know, make faces at him. And um, you know, I always kind of find that funny, but I also kind of it's always kind of been too uh, a sign of. Um, a teammate that's very well liked, and so I, I he seems to be a guy that he's a, he he I don't, you know I only asked him what three or four questions so but he was he was great and he had a seemed to have a really good personality and um, so yeah I'll, I'll look forward to interviewing him again and maybe that's somebody you should look out for because yeah he he was uh, he was solid. 
in your opinion, Jess, have we been talking enough about the job the interior of this line has done? Because I kind of, again, I mean, it hasn't been perfect. Nothing has been perfect this year. But I really get the sense that the the defensive tackles, including Devontae Lampkin, who had a couple of nice plays, uh, Marquez Overton, I mean, you'll see Neville Gallimore in there sometimes. I know they're missing Matt Romar, and I hope he gets back at some point because he was chomping at the bit on the sideline Saturday. But are we giving the interior of that defense enough credit? I don't know if we're giving anybody besides Obo enough credit. You know, <laughs> good point. Um, I, I and de- deservedly so for Obo. I mean, absolutely. But I think you know, you. I my teacher this week is on DJ Ward. So um, ironic that you say that because that's the exact words that both Mike Stoops and Calvin Thibodeau said. Is that he flies under the radar? Nobody ever talks about him, but he he has become one of our most consistent, if not our most consistent, um, player on defense um, over the last couple of years. And so I think you look at a lot of those D-linemen, I think, you know, going into it, you talk a lot about Stephen Parker and you talk a lot about Jordan Thomas and obviously Oboe and, and the linebackers, but you don't, no one's really come out and talked a whole lot about the D-line. And I think that's where they really stepped up against, you. I mean, they were, fighting tooth the nail and again I mean the secondary I talked to Will Johnson again and he told uh, uh, yesterday as well in addition to Kenneth Mann and he said the D-line was the MVP of anybody in that game um, that you know he made they made our jobs in secondary so much easier and so um, yeah I mean I think I think that within the team um, you know they they have really giving them a lot of credit for what they did against Texas. But I think outside of that, it's, um, you know, you tend to overlook some of those guys because of the job that Oboe's done. So, yeah, I think uh, that's funny that you said that because it's literally a big part of the feature this week. Yeah, and DJ Ward, I mean, what an interesting story. Here's a guy that uh, didn't even get to play his senior year of high school due to transfer rules or some oddity and it took I, I think what he's battled a couple of different injuries Jess but what a great story to tell yeah it really is and you know again and a guy that people don't really talk about much and um and they talk about how he literally does everything that he's ever asked of and he's one he's been he's had five uh, four different uh, coaches on the d-line too since he's been here so then you throw in that and then they switch defenses. And so you think about everything that, you know, he's gone through to get to this point where he is one of the more consistent performers. I, I mean, I think it's just so impressive. And, and um, you know, they said he's not a flashy player. And that's why, you know, maybe people overlook him. But he's consistent. And so that's such a necessary thing to have on the D-line is someone that is consistent and you don't always need flashy. You need um, also someone in there that's going to get in there and do their job and, and do everything right. And so that's what they found in DJ. Sermon in motion. Baker's got it. Hand off Anderson running left, cuts it up, has a hole to the 10, cuts near side to the five, to the one, diving, it's the end, touchdown! Rodney Anderson from 15 yards out. It's 16 nothing OU. You know, typically on the tailgate edition of the Sooner Sports Podcast, we go behind enemy lines and I and I dig it and I always love talking to guys from Lawrence Austin Fort Worth any all of the outposts of the Big 12 dig it last week we had Craig Leon one of the greatest dudes on the planet Uh, this week 
unfortunately, we're not going across enemy lines. But what we are doing is talking a little bit about the NFL draft. And I know that this is kind of an odd time to look ahead. But I had a chance to catch up with Benjamin Albright. Ben covers the NFL. And he does so for not only, I believe it's Cover 32, All 32, but he also does so out at a Denver radio station. He's kind of developed a reputation as one of the foremost connoisseurs of not just NFL news, but draft news. And I saw on Twitter he had an interesting name at number two on his quarterback draft board. And in all these names that have been thrown around, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, understandably so, Baker Mayfield, really high on his list. I asked NFL draft expert Benjamin Albright to give me his perspective on Baker Mayfield, the NFL prospect. Uh, all right, so Benjamin, help me help me through your quarterback rankings. It caught a lot of people's attention yesterday whenever it's – and maybe you should explain. You, you really study quarterbacks, and you talk to a lot of people in the league. So when I see Baker Mayfield, number two behind Sam Darnold, is that – from what you've evaluated, or is that from what you're hearing from the people around the league? Well, it's a combination of both. I, I take all the information that I get, whether that's, you know, I, I do my own film study first, and then once I've done with that, I put the grades down. Then I go talk to people because I don't want that to influence my film study. Uh, and then, you know, I'll go talk to people around the league, and we'll kind of trade notes and trade observations, see what we saw, and, you know, and I kind of get a sense of what other people are looking at and, uh, you know, see if I'm way off on something or if I see something radically different, uh, you know, those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, after talking to about, uh, about a dozen, 15 people or so that I, that I really trust that, uh, that are currently employed in the league or worked extensively in the league, um, you know, I, I kind of put that, put that list together. I, I put that list out every year, and I promise you, every year there's one fan base that is absolutely just beguiled by what I put out. Uh, and, and and keeps tweeting me, but come draft day, sure enough, it's it's pretty close. Not many people more accurate with not only projections but NFL news and Benjamin Albright, and he joins us right now on the Plank Show. So what do you like about Baker Mayfield? When you saw that tape, what did you see that caught your eye and caught your attention? Well, I think the main thing is that, that unquantifiable, the intangible, that it factor. Um, you know, there's something that pops out at you, and, and it's, tough to, it's tough to say that because I'm a guy who, who does thrive on data and things like that. But when you Baker Mayfield just makes plays. He gets out there. He accurately makes throws. Uh, he, can, he can work through a half-field moving pocket. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he's accurate. He puts the ball on the receiver and hits them in stride. He doesn't make receivers adjust to the football. He puts it where they need to go. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a trait that uh, – uh, very few quarterbacks have. A lot of quarterbacks are just throwing it up there and hoping a receiver makes a play. Uh, that's the difference between a guy like Baker Mayfield and, for instance, maybe a Johnny Manziel who just threw the ball up there and let Mike Evans make the plays on it. Um, so, you know, I, you, you look at him, he's got athleticism, he's got a thick frame. He's short, but he's actually a very thickly built quarterback. Uh, he's right at six feet, a little over six foot uh, tall, but he's 220 pounds. Uh, to put that in perspective, a guy like Lamar Jackson out of Louisville, who is 6'3", 195 pounds, um, has a much thinner frame, and that's what scouts are really worried about in the NFL. Uh, a quarterback gets hit every play. You want to know if you've, you've got the body to be able to take that uh, that pounding. Baker's got that, so size shouldn't be uh, something that people worry about. Now worry about can he move, can he throw, and he can do those things at a level I, I really haven't seen with that intangible factor since maybe Russ Wilson or Drew Brees. Does this mean that there's the possibility that on not just, you know, I, I was always thinking maybe the second round, maybe the third round, 
But Benjamin, from what we're seeing right now, and I and again I know that we're we're talking draft on October nineteenth, but could Baker be a first round draft pick? I absolutely think so. Um, you know, I, I would certainly, uh, if, if he started falling to that 20 to 32 range, uh, in the, in the first round, I would absolutely move up and, uh, and take him. And the reason that you want to do that in the first round is you get that fifth year team option, um, on the rookie contract deal, which makes your team, uh, it puts your team in a better financial position because you're able to duck under the cap with that cheaper deal, um, you know, overall. So you want to get that fifth year out of your quarterback before you really got to pay him. Going rate for quarterbacks, just average quarterbacks in the NFL is like eighteen million a year at this point. Uh, if you get a guy on a rookie deal, that's that's certainly a lot better. I, I think he can be. Uh, I also thought Russ Wilson should have been a first rounder at, at the time, and that, that was uh, that was met with uproarious laughter, um, you know, from everybody. He wound up going in the third, but justified that with his play on the field. So, um, you know, I, I I definitely think Baker Mayfield could go in the first round. Pistol formation, two tight end set, Baker. Play action, back to pass. Looks right, looks back left, has a pocket. He's going to wing it deep, looking for the end zone for Bidette. It is caught! It's a touchdown! Oh, mama! So, instead of talking about his NFL prospects, let's talk to Baker. I had a chance to catch up with a Sooner quarterback this week during the Monday morning press conference and got his perspective looking back on his final OU Texas game. How's the body heal after a tough one like that? Um, you always feel when you play play teams like that. It always the, the Texas game is a tougher one, um, but it feels good after a win. It's a it's a lot worse if you lose. What, did you see an adjustment that Texas made to your running game? Because uh, it seemed like they got a little better in the second half in trying to slow down Trey and Rodney. Um, you know, I think their their outside backers and their safeties were just come down a little bit more aggressively, and so um, that's you know later in the game when hitting a little bit of deep passes, uh, I think we took advantage of that, and so it was important for us to kind of play off what they were doing. Hey, take us through the touchdown pass to Mark Andrews. What did you see, uh, and what Kale Gundy had saw something right that kind of led to that? Yeah, no, uh, coaches talked about it, uh, especially what what coverage they were trying to run earlier in the game. And so we had talked about it earlier, but it was just the, the perfect timing. You know, we had a couple good plays to start that drive and then um, got them got kind of buttered up for that play, and Coach Riley called it in, and it was just good execution, good protection up front. It's one of those plays that you need a little bit more time, and so uh, those guys up front did it well, and, and Mark got open. It's a big stage and an amazing environment. How about the way the freshmen play? Trey Sermon specifically really had a big game. Yeah, no, it's always good to see those guys show up in big games. You know, to to have the mentality of when the stage is really on, spotlight's on you, to to show up and and play, uh, you know, like a senior is is important for those guys, and it's huge for us as an offense. It's pretty wild. I think every snap you've had as the quarterback, Orlando Brown's been your left tackle. So obviously you like having him on your team, but what's that relationship like and what's he meant to you? Uh, you know, he's he's a guy that I'm going to have a relationship off the field with for, for a long time. Um, so it's been important to have him right there. You know, he's a guy that uh, me- mentally I can relate to how he, he prepares and how he plays. He's got that chip on his shoulder. But off the field, he, he he's very real and genuine. You always know what he's, he's thinking and, and what he means to do. And so it's good to have a friend like that. And so it's it's an important relationship for me to have. Obviously, he's my left tackle. He protects me, but he's a good guy to have around. So what's the process now to enjoy it and now move on? I mean, do you, have you already moved on past Saturday, or do you still let it sink in a little bit? Oh, you got to move on. Yeah, you got to, especially up against a, a good Kansas State team like like we have upcoming this week. So you got to move on, move forward. It's always about the next one. And from the offensive side of the ball to the defensive side of the ball, a guy who has continued to impress, continued to improve, continued to evolve, Stephen Parker got a chance to catch up with Stephen this week as well. 
Uh, it feels awesome, uh, you know, to, to go out, you know, a winner uh, versus versus Texas. It's always great. I mean, uh, it's always a big win. It's always on our schedule, uh, circled, and, you know, everybody came out there to play. Uh, it, it was a hard-fought game for both teams. Take me through the challenge of the conditions. You were saying didn't really notice it until the game was over, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was hot. I mean, I knew it was hot, but just kind of just how everything was going out, you know, going, you know, playing out. Um, you know, I, I just felt like we were just so ready and locked in for the game to where weather didn't have anything to do with it. We were just ready to go out there and beat Texas. You mentioned locked in. Some, I don't want to say it seemed different, but it just seemed like that focus was there from the moment you stepped on the field for warm-ups. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, definitely a fair assessment. I mean, as soon as we got out there for warm-ups, we already knew what time it was. I mean, actually, really, whenever we got up that morning, we already knew what time it was. It was time to beat Texas. And, you know, they were uh, a great opponent. Uh, it's respect, you know, it's a respectable rivalry. And, you know, I felt like both teams really, really felt that win and loss. So how about the way that the secondary answered the call? I know a couple weeks ago, Iowa State had hit some shots, but it really seemed like you guys stepped up. What kind of clicked that for you on Saturday? Uh, really just locking in and, um, you know, just communication, communication, tackling, just the whole nine yards. I mean, it all, it all, you know, has, has a hand in it. And I felt like we were just all just ready to play. Take me through the challenges of a guy like Ellinger, that mobile quarterback. You'll see another one this weekend against Texas, uh, against Kansas State. Probably see a mobile quarterback every game the rest of the year. How much of a challenge is that for you guys? Uh, I mean, it's always a challenge. You know, you always got to keep the the quarterback, you know, in the pocket and make sure he doesn't escape. So it's always, you know, you know, you know, something to something to work with. But uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna prepare well and and have a great week of practice. I love how personally you guys take things because you want to go out and you always give it your all. But, but was that personal for you guys on Saturday? Definitely. It's always personal once you face Texas. <laughs> and then a final thought. Everyone saw Oboe. Everyone saw you guys, how you played. But you left it all out on the field. You couldn't ask for anything more from that perspective. How about the play of Oboe? Uh, Oboe, I mean, he, he went out there. You know, he played like this was going to be his last game ever. And uh, that's how you have to come out and play. Sooners go four wide. Sermon the back. First and ten from the 41. Baker's got it. Going to throw. Four-man rush. Steps up. He's going to throw it deep down the right sideline. Andrews wide open. 2015, 10-5. And the Sooners are back on top in Dallas. Well, that's a pretty full episode of the Sooner Sports Podcast. I want to thank Rufus Alexander for hanging out with us. Of course, he'll be on with us Saturday during the pregame show at 1 o'clock. Thanks to Jessica Cootie. Always a great follow at Jessica Cootie. And, of course, with her practice reports at Soonersports.tv every single week. Thanks to Baker Mayfield. Thanks to Stephen Parker. And a little draft talk sprinkled in with Benjamin Albright. Everyone have a great week. And so you, Kansas State, this Saturday. Can't wait to get there. Can't wait to bring you all the excitement. And thank you for downloading and subscribing to the Sooner Sports Podcast. Until Tuesday's edition of The Great Game Plan, have a great weekend, and Boomer Sooner, everybody. This has been the Sooner Sports Podcast. Make sure to get all the latest episodes online right now at Soonersports.tv slash podcast. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at OU on the Air.